Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a suggestion from our mysterious listener, Ben. Ben writes, greetings from Diego Garcia. I look forward every week to your new episodes and have enjoyed going through the backlog of episodes very much. I was wondering if you'd play Ringing the Changes from CBC's Nightfall. Nightfall was a supernatural horror anthology produced by the Canadian Broadcasting Company between July 1980 and June 1983. Although inspired by the golden age of radio, Nightfall took a more modern approach to horror, pushing the boundaries of what was acceptable on Canadian radio at the time. One episode features a man tearing out his own heart. Another has a man cutting off his hand and feeding it to a pack of dogs. These intense situations and graphic sound effects led some CBC affiliates to drop the series entirely. Today's episode is far less graphic. Instead, the horror is derived from implication and dread. Ringing the Changes is based off the 1964 short story by English writer and editor Robert Aikman. Although Aikman never achieved popular success in his lifetime, some critics have ranked his self-described strange tales alongside the ghost stories of M.R. James, while others suggest the unsettling dreamlike stories are better compared to the works of Franz Kafka. Matthew Cheney, in his 2016 essay, The Strange Horrors of Robert Aikman, argues, Aikman's best work obliterates any certainty between real and unreal, dream and waking reality. Aikman also contributed to the horror genre as an anthologist. From 1964 to 1972, Aikman edited the first eight volumes of the Fontana Book of Great Ghost Stories. His eclectic selections helped to define the very best of supernatural fiction. It should be pointed out that Aikman also included himself in that category. Of the eight volumes he edited, six featured his own stories. It has been suggested that a penchant for supernatural fiction ran in Aikman's family. His grandfather was Victorian novelist Richard Marsh, whose supernatural thriller The Beetle was immensely successful in its day, outselling another popular horror novel published that same year, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And now, let's listen to Ringing the Changes from Nightfall, first broadcast Halloween night, 1980. It's late at night. And a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. In the dream, you are falling, lost in the listening distance. As dark locks in. <laughs> Nightfall.
Good evening. Tonight, in honor of an occasion that's dear to us all, we're presenting a special love story for lovers of all ages. The play, based on a short story by Robert Aikman, is called Ringing the Changes. When an older man takes a very young wife, you can't be quite so easygoing about it as your average husband. The haphazard is replaced with much deep planning, with special little schemes to wall in happiness. So my wife and I decided that our honeymoon would be our own invention, at no one else's time or place. Instead of June, we were married on the last day of October. And late that very afternoon, we reached what we were sure was a dream retreat for us alone. An old world village on the east coast. Holy Haven was so forgotten and obscure, we were astonished to find a tiny branch line train still ran there. A village at the end of things, we said. Perhaps they tried to warn us. The dead leaves stirred by the crawling train. Even the sullen station master. But Fryn and I paid no attention. We had no sense that past the end of things lay horror. Company is as surprised as we are, darling. But we're here. <laughs> Exhaustion makes you cynical, Gerald. Do remember the bags. I'm not that old. <laughs> Sir, madam. Uh, good afternoon. We're... I'm afraid you've made a mistake. Castle is the next station on the line. This is Holy Haven. And this is exactly where we're meant to be. There's no mistake. Our tickets are for Holy Heaven here. Mm. You'd best come inside. Rather grand station for such an empty place. A bit like one's grandmother all dressed for party and nobody came. We are here, darling. Party of two. Two too many for them. Look at the porter. <laughs> well, who are thy visitors? <sighs> Tonight? Well, that's what the tickets say. Have you a room booked? Yes, at the Bell Hotel. The Bell? Tonight of all nights. It's them Pascos. Yes, that's the name, Pasco. <sighs> We don't use the bell, but you'll find it in Rack Street. Straight ahead, down Station Road. Then down Rack Street. You can't miss it. Thank you. I wanted to be... Oh, it's not the bells. They're starting early. Every reason to be in good time. It's very slow. I hope it's not... What do you call it? A passing bell? 
Half sing. <laughs> Why, no, ma'am. Not a passing bell exactly. More like calling. Yes. <sighs> Is there someone who could take our bags to the hotel? We don't go to the bell. I see. Well, I'm sure we can walk. Come on, friend. And thank you for being so helpful. You're welcome. I'll say one thing to you, not a word more. Yes? There'll be more bells. I suppose they have to practice sometimes. We like church bells. We do, really. It's not the ringing. It's when they stop. Well? When the bells stop, you go and lock yourselves away. As far away as you can. For so long as you may. old men. I know he wanted to get away from all that grand hotel bowing and scraping, but oh, do you think we overdid it? Mustn't blame them too much. We're probably the only visitors they've had all year. They have to practice their local colour on somebody. Huh? When the year's bell stop, run the United. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of hiding, where's everybody got to? It's not six o'clock yet, and the place is like a tomb. Well, the hotel got to. Poor Gerald. Let me help. I'm quite all right, thank you. Oh, don't go all stiff up a lip on me. I married you because you were too old to take yourself seriously. You weren't at all like those thousand-year-old boys I had to go to dances with. Never too old to stuff a shirt. <laughs> The station master said there'd be more. I wish they'd play God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen or something. <laughs> yes, it does sound funereal. Listen, there's a faint echo. All these narrow stone streets, I should think. Yeah. They follow the lines of the medieval city. Before the rivers silted up, these towns were some of the most important seaports in England. Now, they're preserved under glass. Oh, it's like an empty stage set. I wonder what happens when the curtain goes up. Prin. What is it? Look. We, we, we just passed it. Our hotel. See, the bell over the door. Oh, thank God. However did we do that? Uh, Lord knows. At least it's not cold. Well, the East Coast and this time of the year is incredibly warm. You know, I think it's getting warmer. Yes? Uh, Mrs. Pascoe? Yes? I'm Gerald Horstead, and this is my wife, Frim. We have reservations for the hotel tonight? No. Not tonight. Uh, Mrs. Pascoe. I have a reservation for the Bell Hotel in Holy Haven confirmed to our agent in London by telephone in the name of D. Pascoe here. Oh, God. Don did this. Don? My husband. He's not very well. Mrs. Pascoe, we have reservations here. 
The last train has gone, and we may not be very well either if we spend the night in the street. God, no, you... You can't do that. You mustn't stay in the street. Come in quickly. Thank you. I think we'd better. I'm sorry your husband's unwell, Miss Pascoe. You know what men are like when they're ill. Impossible. Or very difficult. It's his stomach. He... Takes things for it. Sometimes he takes too much. Oh, I see. No, you don't. But you may. You'd better sign the register. The last entry is quite a long time ago. Well, we are always quiet here. We did want to come out of season. Out of season, quite. Sign here, please. Are we alone in the house? Except for Commandant Shotcroft. You won't mind him, will you? He's a regular. I'm sure we shan't. People say the house wouldn't be the same without the Commandant. I'm sure. Do you mind telling us what those bells are? Practice. So many at once? They have ways of their own in Holy Haven. Here's your key. Room number seven. If you'll excuse me, I... I have to see Darden. Dinner's at 7.30. You have time for a drink in the bar first. <laughs> we certainly have. It's only just six. Actually, I like church bells. Oh, very well. But on one's honeymoon, they distract the attention. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> you want to see the room? Not yet. And I don't want to drink. I want to see the ocean while there's still light. Anything to get away from the bells. Let's go <laughs> and find the sea. What is it? Not what is it? Where is it? It's dark already. Where's the sea? Well, they must keep it somewhere. These weeds and great bloody rocks can't go on forever. You can certainly smell it. Honest sea smell. If you say so. I don't ever remember it so strong. Come out, come out, wherever you are. <laughs> Friend? Darling? Friend! Friend! Where are you? Friend, for God's sake! Sorry, darling. Panic over. Oh, what the hell happened? I stood on something. You're all right? Think so. Oh. The smell's worse than ever. I think it's coming from what I stepped on. My foot went right in, and then there was the smell. <sighs> I've never anything like it. Please, darling, let's go back. All right. But I must warn you, I'm very disappointed. I think that seaside attractions should include the sea. 
Take my arm, darling. That's an arm. Look how far away the lights of the town are. Yes. There isn't a sea. Gerald? Hmm? Listen to the bells. It can't be. They're coming from all the churches, aren't they? Impossible. All the churches on the same night? I'm quite sure. I can hear one lot of bells with my right ear and another with my left. <sighs> Friend? Hmm? What... What do you think it was you... you stepped on? It was... something soft. Something soft and... And? And bone. Consider, darling, the food might have been worse. And the bedroom is beautiful. Ah. Do you know I've never slept in a four-poster? I don't know how we'll sleep in anything with that damn noise. It's going to stop, remember? They promised us. And anyway, what makes you think you're going to sleep? <laughs> Meantime, I want a nightcap. <laughs> I'll bring it to you on the lounge. Cumul. Cumul, I think. Uh-huh. If either of them are sober enough to pour... I'll steal some and charge it to the invisible commandant. <laughs> well, then. Bar unattended. And on. Service. Kellner. Anybody home? Mr. Pascoe, I presume. Don, a double cognac and a cumul, please. And if it's not too much to ask. Hmm? Oh, 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 oops, Daisy. I think, Mr. Pascoe, you'd better let me pour. So I don't see any more brandy. I guess it's two cumuls. Yes, well, perhaps, but I'm not a thief, Mr. Pascoe. I'll remind your wife to add them to the bill in the morning. Run! Hmm? Run! What? Run! Oh, frankly, there's nothing I'd like better, Mr. Pascoe. But I see no way until morning. And if you'll excuse me, I'd better go and see to my wife whom I got into this bloody mess in the first place. Run! involved with the ineffable Don. Lord, it's dark in here. Where are you? Lower your voice, Mr. Halstead. What? Speak more softly. Your wife has fallen asleep by the fire. 
You should not have left her alone. She seems to have had a guardian. I presume you are Commandant Shotcroft. No need to presume. Thank you for your concern. I had a run-in with our drunken host. He was a fine man once. Don't think otherwise. Not my type. DSO and Bar. DFC and Bar. And now Bar only, huh? Why? He got into trouble. He wasn't the kind of man to know about human nature and all its rottenness. Pity. But even so, isn't this the best place for him? The worst. For him or anyone else. Certainly a damn noisy place. Why did you have to come tonight of all nights? This doesn't happen often? Once every year. Ah, they should have told us. They don't usually accept bookings when Pasco was himself. They never did. How can she control him now? A woman try to control a man. Does she have an alternative? At heart, women are creatures of darkness all the time. Take her away, ma'am. In a day or two, when... Now! Now there's still time. This instant. They can hardly go on practicing all night. Practicing? And what are they doing? They're ringing to wake the dead. That's a figure of speech. In Holy Haven, on this night of the year, on All Hallows' Eve. Halloween? <laughs> Jack-o'-lanterns, witches... Uh... Fool! Look at your wife. You see? She hears them in her sleep. What happens? No one can tell how long they have to go on ringing. It varies from year to year. You should be all right for another half hour or so. In the end, the dead awake. First, one or two. Then, all of them. And the sea draws back. You've seen it yourself, then. In a place like this, there are always several drowned each year. But that's only a few. Most of them come not from the water, but from the earth. It is not a pity sight. Where do they go? Do you think I'd follow them to find out? You advise me to go. Where? Where doesn't matter. I have no car. Then you'd better walk. She's young and strong. She's 20 years younger than you. And therefore, 20 years more important. What about you? I've lived here a long time now. I know what to do. And the Pascos? He's drunk. There's nothing in or out of the world of fear if you're thoroughly drunk. Your wife is wakening. I don't think there's anything more to say. You should still have time. You make me wish I had a Bible. Isaiah might be useful. Repent, O Jerusalem. I had a more specific verse in mind. The satyr shall cry to his fellow. Good night, Mr. Halstead. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. Hello, Gerald. Oh, what fun. The bells are still ringing. Ben, come away. Come away at once. We're leaving here now. But now? What about our bags? What about... Never mind the bags. Leave everything. Just pray the front door isn't padlocked. Hurry! For God's sakes, hurry! down the street. You didn't see it, did you? A man, I think. Very dark. And holding some kind of cloth over his head. That, that's all you saw? I think so. Thank God. Get in. Get in here quickly. Where can we go? Our room. It's the only place left. Our room. And lock everything we can between. Don't expect they'll trouble us. Where's that damn light? As dark as worse than anything. Yeah, the current's gone. <laughs> Nothing to see till daylight. Gerald, don't leave me. I'm right here, darling. We'll wait it out no matter what happens. Listen. They're coming. They're coming here. Get a grip on yourself. They don't want us. We don't belong here. That's why they're coming. Friend, it's only fear. It's extraordinary how frightened one can be, even when one knows there's no direct menace. None. No menace? We'll think of something else. Do you think we can? Of course we can. It's only till tomorrow. They can't be actually dangerous, or it would be stopped. Of course, of course. <laughs> They've broken the street door. They're in the hotel. Stay quiet. For God's sakes, stay quiet. They're coming up the stairs. Shut up. Shut up. They'll hear us. What do the dead hear, Gerald? What do they hear?
next I knew, there was light in the windows, and the wrecked bedroom was empty. How I got downstairs, I don't know. But there she was. Her nightdress was so torn that she was almost naked. Darling, look at you. Look at me. Oh, my darling. Here I am. Not to worry. We're not going to talk about it now. You must be in shock. We walk to the main road and flag a car. And for God's sakes, take my raincoat. You can't go tromping the countryside looking like something from the Follies Berger. <laughs> In Rack Street, a milkman was delivering as we passed, but his cart bore the name of another town. When we reached the station road, we saw a small plot of land on which already men were silently at work with spades in their hands. We'd missed it last night, but in the grey light, we saw a signboard. New Municipal Cemetery. The diggers were as thick as flies on a wound and as black. Don't look, friend. Turn your head. Don't look. Why, darling? Why ever not? She spoke to me, but looked at them. And I stared at her hard for a moment. Then once more... She became herself. And there's few seconds. I became aware of something dividing us. Which neither of us would ever mention. Or forget. That was Ringing the Changes from Nightfall here in the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was a listener request from our mysterious listener, Ben, who uh, brings us some more Nightfall onto our podcast. And uh, there's a huge love-hate relationship I have with Nightfall. I'll tell you uh, straight from the top, uh, just the first thing is... Boy, that music's just a lot. Yeah, let's rip the Band-Aid off rip because the band-aid. there's so much great stuff I want yes. to talk about. That music, it is atrocious. Just it is jarring. I have grown to love it. <laughs> okay, so this is interesting because I also have come to accept it, but I think particularly for this episode, there was absolutely no 
rhyme or reason. It's beyond <laughs> taste. Right. It was like they gave old Nightfall tapes to a monkey. You <laughs> spliced them in because yes. it made no sense right. what interstitial music followed what scene. Right. And it was never the same. No. Once or twice, it was actually, that's mildly acceptable. And other times, it just big monkey and grabbed me and pulled me out of the story, which is a shame because I think everything else about it is great. That's what I have to say. I'm sorry to jump No, no, no that, that's fair. It would pull me out and go, ah, that's right, it's Nightfall. Because <laughs> right. ah. I guess in like- some way, my strong feelings are a defense of Nightfall in that while the music isn't my taste, I think there are other episodes that it is executed better and the choices make more sense with the story. I also think you're Early on, one of the cues was this sort of jazzy little drum beat and a little bit of combo that wasn't quite so modern experiment, not even modern, um, but electro-experimental. So they they softened the blow with the first one for me so that I felt okay about the later ones. Not to say that it it was good. It was a little familiar and fond for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's really good because I will give away my opinion at the top that I love the rest of this production. And so I was extra disappointed by the jarring music. Um, so it heartens me to know that it didn't totally destroy your experience. No. Unless you're about to say, I <laughs> really hate this The best part story. of this episode <laughs> was the music. Oh, man. It absolutely, my walk away from this is, wow, not even that jarring, terrible, <laughs> horrifying and not well thought out interstitial music could destroy how much I enjoyed this story. And that's saying a lot because that music was terrible and awful <laughs> and horribly misplaced. And no, I don't get used to it. It's the interstitial music from Land of the Lost. And I think I've said that before, but, you know, Slee Stacker coming with that music. <laughs> but... It would come on and go, oh, nightfall, stupid <laughs> nightfall. And then the story came back and I go, oh, the story. Beautiful. This is a great Halloween uh, story. Ben sent this to us maybe a year and a half ago. And then it took me, in the middle of a pandemic, many months to even give a listen to this episode, which I had never heard before. And I ironically listened to it only a couple weeks after last Halloween. <laughs> when I finally got around and I went... That would have been so nice to have. You know, we have lots of listener requests, and I'm sorry, Ben, but I'm going to hold on to it for next Halloween. So, and here we are. Here we are, yes. Happy Halloween! Yeah, it's a great ghost story. There are two sounds in this world, I brought it up before, that I love, especially in uh, radio drama, theater of the mind. Trains and farts. Trains and farts. (laughs) <laughs> That's also a great Tom Waits album. Yes. <laughs> Have you been on the, the fart train? Yes. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Everybody all aboard. Uh, Having Brussels sprouts <laughs> coffee. Happy Halloween. <laughs> it's distant train whistles and distant church bells. They're foreboding. They're lonely. They're, they're full of mystery they create an ambiance that is fascinating to me and this this gave me non-stop distant church bells almost non-stop <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which i think is brilliant because brilliant. i love the church bells at first but i felt like i 
got put in the place of the mm-hmm. couple. And as they increased in number and volume, it started to create the same anxiety in me that it was creating in the characters. And that's mm-hmm. really effective sound design as it builds. And you don't really even notice it build until, and I'm sure it changes for each listener, but until it crosses that personal line for you as a listener mm-hmm. where like, that's starting to be a lot and it doesn't stop. <laughs> that excitement of like, they're following through on this. They're going to only stop for narration, only stop for the tiny little bits, but you're going to hear them bells nonstop mm-hmm. almost until they stop. I want to re-edit this, get rid of the interstitial music and just have a swell of church bells as your interstitial mm-hmm. music where it never stops or just follow that progression. But we're not here to re-edit Nightfall, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> The very top of this episode, the very introductory sort of speech he has, where he's talking about when you marry much a younger person, you have to have this sort of, I can't remember the the exact phrase, but it's so politely horrible (laughs) um, about having the very sort of boundaries about where and when you do things with your new wife that I I just loved all the awful promise of that initial Mm -hmm. setup. And then it was... This great, for me, tropey, old-fashioned, oh, we're in a small, sleepy little rural town mm-hmm. that everyone's warning us that we shouldn't be here, and we're having good-natured fun, and that we're charming, and it's a ghost story, and it's got some mystery in it, and I was enjoying it, enjoying it, oh, this is such comfort food, and we got to the very last beat, and I went, oh, oh, this is Terrible. <laughs> uh, and so it was, you know, Nightfall did his exact work of I had a great time, was horrified by the ending, and left thinking that was well done. Blah. Yeah. Just the creepiness of his bride after the attacks or whatever it was. Uh, let me ask you. But it's not an attack. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's a, I was going to ask you. It's coming a together. revelry. Yeah. It's almost like a. Bacchanalia or something mm-hmm. like that. It's vague enough that it's unsettling. And we never talked about it again. And in the opening speak, he talks about that there are walls. Um, and he talks about making walls around them as a couple. Yeah. But ultimately, the wall ends up between them. And at the top, it seems like the distance between the two of them is the distance of their age. And the discomfort comes from his proximity to death because he is older and then after this horrific encounter with the undead this Mm -hmm. discomfort comes back but now it's because she is closer to the dead (laughs) she has more knowledge of of what is to come than he does or at least that's i think one reading of it that there's so many uncomfortable readings (laughs) of this i mean this episode is one thing but then i read the short story and the short story is just like a, a master's thesis waiting to happen (laughs) right um it's really fascinating because this is a very faithful beat for beat adaptation of the story yet because it's a radio play versus prose uh, obviously it lacks the level of detail that a prose short story can have and it does it's interesting that you mentioned tropey and I think this is very smart, it's not a criticism of the radio adaptation, is that it takes the elements from the short story that fit in this radio drama horror format and mm. really embraces them. The short story leaves you in 
vague, ambivalent discomfort for much longer. Mm. For example, this radio play adds lines like the porter saying, oh, it's not the ringing you have to worry about, it's when they stop that you should lock yourself up. And so immediately listening to this, you know, like, okay, there's something ominous about these bells, but because it feels kind of tropey, like you said, there's something also comforting about it. Yeah. In the short story, they don't get that specific of a signal. Just everything is a little wrong, and it's a little like that nightmare out of the corner of your mm-hmm. eye thing. So it's different, but also very, very faithful. And the ways in which it does change the story, I think, is very smart for mm-hmm. a 30-minute radio adaptation. I could not find, and I don't know if either of you could find, the Canadian reference. Doesn't All Nightfall need some reference to Canada in there? Some of their Canadian accents come through the English I mean, accent. like, specifically they, they, in the they, script, they need to say, like, yay, Canada. The CBC guidelines and the Canadian broadcasting uh, laws and rules that there has but, to be something pro- Or is Aikman Canadian? Is that... <laughs> something pro-Canadian. I just pro- thought Canadian. the dead came back to life once a year in Canada, right? <laughs> yes. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yes. It's called winter. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, One of the most unsettling moments in this story, other than the ending, is when they go to go look at the sea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's really weird. And they can't find the sea. It's one of those things we talk about a lot where it's the fine line between absurdity and horror. Mm -hmm. Like on the surface, there's an absurd element there. Mm -hmm. Like it's the sea. You know, that shouldn't really be creepy. To say, like, I can't find the ocean. Uh, But it really works. And obviously, it's complicated by the fact that she steps on something. Yes. (laughs) Soft yet bony. Bony, bony, yes. Uh, And I think that's a great audio moment, uh, the way it is directed, um, where she screams from far off. And he calls for her. He's desperate Mm -hmm. and scared. And when her voice comes back, A, it's really calm, but it's really up close. If you listen to it in the headphones, it's startling, not because it's loud. She's actually really softly says something along the lines of, here I am. But mm-hmm. when she says it, she's right close to the microphone. And uh, it's just mm-hmm. a great bit of audio directing. Yeah, uh, that whole sequence there was cool. Um, yes, it walks that line of ridiculous, but it's so familiar uh, to me, at least, of this should be obvious. This should be a no-brainer thing to accomplish, and it's so weirdly frustrating to not be able to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were given, in, at least in my head, you know, an hour and a half. Dinner's at 7.30. It's 6 o'clock now. Let's go to the sea. And that in that time, the sun set completely. They walked enough to be, we can't find the sea, and we feel like we've been looking, at it, looking for it for a long time. So I'm like, get back to your hotel. <laughs> I am mm-hmm. tapping my wrist. Get back to your weird hotel that you walked by. Yeah, and for some reason, again, I think that's what Aikman is so good at, is those small little peculiar moments that feel really authenticating. Like, it's those weird things you do in real life. But when it is cast in this larger, horrific story, it seems discomforting. Yeah, it seems to signify something. Yeah, everything seems to imply something in the story. You're exactly right. Mm Mm-hmm. And <laughs> sorry, I just keep going. Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep. Oh, and uh, Mr. Pasco. Yeah. Just oh. 
he says like three words, but they're the creepiest things. He right. says them over and over again. Just like you, you fool, and run. But he says it <laughs> right. over and over, and over again. and over. Yep. Uh, uh, in the story, he's uh, so drunk he cannot speak. He has no lines of dialogue in the story. Oh. But I thought this was obviously having a character with no lines of dialogue in an audio play is not good. I thought this <laughs> right. was a, a great solution to that. Yeah, and I wasn't really following that he was drunk until they said he was. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he was they coming were very across as uh, terrifying. Obtuse about it. Yeah. yeah. But at first, say... I just thought he was a really terrifying character. The commandant later says yeah. that he has fallen from grace, that he had mm-hmm. these military honors. I forget all the different dis- the mm-hmm. distinguished yeah, thing, flying thing bar, cross and, then just and a bar. bar. Yeah. yeah, they may never mention that he's drunk. I, I might be just blurring the short they, story. Yeah, he took treatment for his condition, and he took too much oh, treatment sometimes. Yes, yeah. they were very bad. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. And the commandant <laughs> showing up in her room to watch her sleep. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, you knew the commandant is going to show up because they they give him all this emphasis. Uh, Mrs. Pasco does is like, oh, he's uh, he's just always here. He's always here, and you're like, oh, what is he going to be like? <laughs> right. Um, and when he comes back to the room, and he's just in there, um, but he's really fascinating because he has this streak of misogyny and paternalism. I can't remember. He says something along the lines of like, you know. All women's hearts are filled with darkness. <laughs> yes. But he's watching over Prin, as you discover, and he tells yeah. Gerald that like she's 20 years younger, so 20 years more important than you. Get her out of here. Um, so that contrasting attitude toward her uh, again yeah. adds to the disquieting effect, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And also I think Prin beca- comes to symbolize... Not just youth, but youth as innocence. Mm-hmm. She has twenty more years to to live uncorrupted, right? <laughs> if you can get her out of here, and it's one of the not again a nice little twist is the age difference from her side seems to make no impact on her. She's just she goes out of her way to be supportive and loving to her husband, mm-hmm. and the two of them made this plan to go here together. It seems. You know, there's always the question of, like, how much sort of social pressure can he just imply and have happen without actually having to do anything to make it happen? But she doesn't seem like a victim in that marriage. No, not as is portrayed. And one bit of relevant biographical data from Aikman I read is that there was a almost 25-year gap between his mother and father. So this might have been something personal to him why he he chose to frame this story that way but yes that age difference is at the the heart of what is uh at least thematically significant in this story this idea of time and change and death <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. really uplifting stuff uh but it's halloween not the, christmas coming out was saying about she can run fast you not as much <laughs> right <Yes. laughs> Uh, and one of the things the um, gentleman who adapted it, I think his name was, he has a really distinctive name that I can't remember, so I guess it's not that distinctive, Norman Cherry. He adds that quote from Isaiah, mm-hmm. it's not from the original, uh, when he says, uh, the satyr shall cry to his fellow, um, which is really nerdy stuff if you're familiar with that verse, because the full verse is this depiction of post 
God's judgment mm-hmm. where animals, the full verse describes mm-hmm. birds and wild beasts um, settling into a, a to ruin civilization. So what I think is really nice about that quote is it suggests um, this reversal of the natural order, mm-hmm. like the dead coming to life. <laughs> um, and then and afterwards, there's a sign on the milk truck that is of a different city, which was weird. I'm could be totally wrong, but I took the milk truck from another city to imply that maybe this is this annual event that they know, like, they're going to need help delivering the milk <laughs> the, uh, the next day because um, they're too busy burying all the bodies. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Prin cannot take her eyes off the... The diggers. The, the diggers yeah. and the dead bodies. And it's like, Did he say that the diggers, there were so many of them, they look like flies? Yes. Okay. I did catch that. On the, sort of imply on the wound of this ground that had been torn up. Right. Another great effective audio moment in here is the chant. No, I was just oh, going to talk yeah. about that. The chant. Was it something I should recognize? <laughs> like, I did didn't. you guys like, oh, I know that song or that chant or that's no. from a thing. It's so just... that was written for this. Was it in the novel? The yes. Chant? Okay. Yeah. I just thought they realized it in audio format really yeah, well because it builds well. in speed and yep. intensity. Mm-hmm. And if you listen really carefully, the the living voices and then just this sort of garbled voices mm-hmm. underneath it of presumably the dead attempting through their rotting <laughs> larynxes to chant along. It's so yep. horrible. Very disconcerting. Uh, there was a, a certain amount of happiness to the chant. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I know yeah. we talk about the, it's a revelry and all that, but they didn't seem like zombie spirit, undead, uh, I'm, in, I'm in limbo hell. They seemed like they were out to have a good time. Well, that was part of the the aspect of it that was like, ah, oh, comfortable trophy to me. It was like, this is like Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. Um, Some pagan ritual. Yeah. yeah. Like Wicker Man, it is this sort of blurred line between it's just this local custom thing that happens that it may look strange to outsiders, but it's just normal here. And, oh, no, that's horrible. Yeah. The living dead always looks strange to outsiders. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, another great subtle moment is when uh, the actor who plays Prin, when they find her afterwards, she, it could just be me, I listened twice, but it sounds like she pitches her voice deeper. That she has changed. Yeah. That there's a difference in her after this. It's nuanced. I like that. I was going to bring that up. That I thought she did a really good job of... That could have been a terrible performance. I thought he was worse. I thought he was more uh, farcical we'll in his performance. the stereotype, yeah. Yeah, and she was much more real. And she made things more frightening than he did. For me, actor-wise. Yeah, and I think what's effective about... Um, the actor played Gerald's performance is that he's, you know, trying to keep everything light mm-hmm. and, and blustery and, and make his bride laugh and, and yeah. things like that. And it gets harder and harder yes. <laughs> as events unfold. Let's go. Let's go. Forget your luggage. Let's go. <laughs> oh, and when she says, did you just see something run down the street? Yeah. That oh, yeah. Such yeah. a terrible moment. Why? What did you see? Also, there is that a great moment when the bells finally stop after all that time. And that's something that I think is distinct with audio where the 
absence of sound is so powerful um, if set up correctly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does work in visual art and in film. Usually you think of those like sharp cuts to black, but they're relegated to the end of something. And really, I think the power is more in the abruptness of the edit than the actual negative space. Um, yeah, and it's it's that thing when it's suddenly an absence of ambient sound. Yeah. Where you forget how much you've been hearing it. Mm-hmm. Did you send it to the vote? Yeah, otherwise I think it's just going to be us going, wow. Wow. That yeah. bit, that was, that was also cool. Yeah, that's a classic. Uh, there's uh, about 60 seconds total of, of that could be edited out. It's all music related and it would be <laughs> awesome. But uh, it's classic. It's really scary. It's really suspenseful. It's really well done. Yeah, it's it's a ride and it's a perfect Halloween story. Yeah, this is uh, really Nightfall sort of thesis argument um, <laughs> that it takes a very sort of classic horror structure and story mm-hmm. and uh, gives it a good adaptation, some good performances, and some very modern disturbing elements. And the music. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and it's always hard to like classic Nightfall because, you know, Nightfall's relatively modern. Oh, it's not modern at all. Who am I kidding? Right, right. Um, but this is a fantastic. It stands the test of time. And mm-hmm. ah, it's Halloween. Classic. <laughs> yeah. I stumble over the use of incidental music. So in that way, I can't give it classic of audio dramas ever because I think the incidental music is too important a part of a Mm -hmm. production. However, I will absolutely say it is a Nightfall classic. Best Nightfall. if you listen to Nightfall, you have to accept that music one way or the other. So it is a (laughs) classic. (laughs) I I like it better than Porchlight, which is saying a lot because I think Porchlight is is also a classic. It's just a slightly higher classic than Porchlight. I think the best way to sum this up, and this is something we didn't mention earlier, um, is Gerald's line toward the end, uh, which I think is less about their in-universe situation and more about, and I think this is appropriate for Halloween, scary stories. Mm -hmm. He says, it's extraordinary how frightened one can be even when one is not directly menaced. (laughs) Um, in the story, the line is said by Prin, and she adds her own explanation of the phenomenon. And she says, it must prove we all belong to one another. Uh, and I think that's just a, a great uh, example <laughs> that's of... That's a sweet sentiment that has a horrible connotation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Given what happens to her, but we'll set that aside. We'll bracket that off um, and say... Outside the context of the story, I think that's a great way to describe why people like to be scared it's scary within these safe confines of human connectedness uh so i think this is just fantastic i i do want tom waits to provide the incidental music that's my new theory <laughs> off, of, I, off his album fart train yes, yes. <laughs> although i did think uh in the ocean scene of tom waits great song the ocean doesn't want me today <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> all right tim tell him stuff hey Go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can comment on episodes, let us know what you thought. Send us messages if you have things you'd like us to listen to. That's a good way to get us uh, that message. You can also link to our social media pages. You can link to our Threadless store and buy swag. Who doesn't love swag? Uh, And you can also link to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast 
podcast. But don't believe me. Why don't we hear it from... No, I'm full of lies. But you know who doesn't lie? Our patrons. Hello, this is Dave from Pittsburgh to tell you all about the benefits you'll receive by becoming a Patreon subscriber to the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. And the benefits are many. In return for your monthly donation, you'll get access to bonus podcasts, including Secrets of the Radio Listening Society, Bedtime Stories, Cliffhangers of Doom, and the new B-Sides feature. Also, you'll be invited to the monthly Zoom meeting, where you'll meet with other society members to discuss old-time radio and other subjects of related and unrelated interest. There's also live streaming and not-so-live streaming of the monthly stage shows put on by your hosts, featuring new, old, and completely original radio plays. And as if that wasn't enough, there's also a new book club, hosted by Joshua, covering the fearful, the frightful, and the fantastic in fiction. It's the biggest value in podcasting, so big you'd expect to only find it in Big Town, yet... You'll find it every month through Patreon and your support of the morals. And now, back to our program. And if you'd like to see the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society performing live, we do recreations and adaptations of classic radio drama and a lot of our own original works live on stage doing uh, radio drama performances. Uh, So we perform monthly. Come see us by going to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com. There you'll see links to where we're performing, how to buy tickets, and what we're performing this month. It's usually in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, so if you're not able to come see us wherever we are, then uh, please buy a ticket and see us online, virtually uh, live-streamed. Or if you can't even do it that way that night because you're busy... You can watch it later so because uh, we record them. So you got no excuses. We'll love to see you come see us. What is coming up next? Next is our month of November, which is Gratitude Month here on the podcast. And who are we grateful for? Our patrons. And I know we tend to talk about this a lot on this podcast, but they are mm-hmm. the people who make this podcast possible and many of our live performances possible so uh, we are really thankful for that support and over the next month we'll be featuring some patrons as guests and some extra special patron listener requests so until then look out! <laughs> 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 